time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart, that's got passion for God, they're leading intercession on their schools, they're set apart, consecrated under God, and they've got a vision and a mission for their life. I'm Matthew Barney, I pastor the Los Angeles Dream Center. I come from the city of champions, the Los Angeles Lakers. But anyways, forget about that. Forget about that. I don't, I don't want to kill the spirit that's here in this place. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to Pastor Brady. That's a home eat nachos watching tonight on Ustream or live stream. And uh, just all of you guys out there, I tell you, this is the most fired up, incredible place I have ever experienced in my life. Oh my goodness. It's like you don't even want to speak after you hear this stuff. It's so powerful. But not only just hear the worship. But to see the desperation, the heart of everybody here, I just want to say thank you so much. When you talk about a conference that has a purpose, it's true. Uh, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I was at this church on a Sunday morning, and I delivered the message in this church after a Sunday morning gave the Dream Center $65,000 on a Sunday morning to help the work of God going on in the inner city of Los Angeles. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And I'm just so grateful, David Perkins and the whole crew. Man, this is just unbelievable. And John and Carrie and the band and oh my goodness. I, I don't even know why I'm here tonight. I really don't. But I, I, I promise you I won't be boring. I might not be effective, but I won't be boring here tonight. Amen. But uh, tonight's going to be a great night. I'm so excited about it. So turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. I won't preach long. I promise you. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. But I just believe that tonight God has got a message. You know, at the age of 20, uh, I went into the inner city of L.A. to pastor a church. I was 11th on the list of 10, and uh, I came to L.A. at 20 and had taken over a church in one of the biggest gang-ravaged communities in all of Los Angeles. As a matter of fact, my church was right next to a liquor store and gangs on every street corner. And that's how I started. I took over a church that nobody else wanted to pastor, so I was by default the pastor of a church at 20 years of age. And I want to talk to you about something that happened before that process. I'm going to speak to you tonight on the subject of what is the theme of your life. And I'm going to do some things. So I want you to get into it tonight. This is an interactive type of message. It's kind of a little mini illustrated sermon. And, and um, I might even play a couple songs if you don't know them. Just kind of go with me on it because it tells the story. And uh, tonight's just going to be an awesome, awesome service. I just believe God is going to move. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power... Who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who went about doing good. I'm going to speak to you tonight on the subject as what is the theme of your life. Father, I pray as I deliver this message tonight that, Lord, you would do something revolutionary. Don't do something relevant, Lord, because relevant means we're just trying to keep up to the moment at hand. But do something revolutionary that would forever change our beliefs and our heart about what can be done in a moment like this. This tonight is not just a conference. We never underestimate the power of one experience in the presence of God and what it changes in our lives. When I was 16, God, I was in a place like this on a conference where you spoke to my heart that I would pastor a church in Los Angeles, California. You gave me the city at 16. And from that day on, Lord, my life has never been the same. So I come here tonight, not just trying to throw out a couple of little fun things, but I come tonight as someone who's experienced the power of one great moment. And I believe that you're going to revolutionize hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 
The Bible says of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who went about doing good. I believe this is one of the most extraordinary verses in all the Bible because, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus had a reputation. There was a theme about his life. Everywhere that Jesus went, people looked at him and said, hey, that's the guy that does good. That's the guy that feeds thousands of people. That's the guy that heals people that are sick. Jesus had a reputation about him that everywhere that he went, something good was going to happen. Wouldn't that be great in your school that when people looked at you and said, hey, that's the person that's going around doing good. That's the person that encourages me when I'm down. That's the person that believes that my life has value. Jesus had a reputation and a theme about his life that was very clear that everybody knew. He's the man right there that's going around doing good. There's a certain kind of theme to the life of Jesus. Whenever I talk about themes, I always think about songs. How many here know you can remember a song that you heard one year, 10 years, 20 years ago? And when you hear that song, you can remember where you were at the first time you've ever heard that song. How many of you experienced that before in your life? Where you're like, man, I remember exactly where I was. Nothing describes the theme of lives more than music. You can remember a song, it could take you back exactly where you were. When I was in grade school in Phoenix, Arizona, every year we had an event at the end of the year. Oh yeah, throwing it down for the sons. And, uh, and, and there was a place in Phoenix, I don't even know if it's around anymore, but on Thomas Road, it was called the Great Skate. And dude, it's, it was, a, I, it was a, a roller skating rink. And every year in grade school, the big deal was the end of the year, grade skate. Because what we had was a couple skate. And all year long, people were trying to work it on trying to figure out who you would skate with at the end of the year at couple skate. So everyone was trying to kind of flirt all year long. And we got to the very, very end of the, uh, uh, of the year. And there was a girl that sat in front of me every single day. Her name was Erica Nelson. Erica was one of the most beautiful, second most beautiful woman in all the world. And Erica sat in front of me, and, uh, and every time, she, she would just turn around. I was in love. And we got to the great skate, and I was nervous. And in a few minutes, the slow skate was going to start, and my hands were getting sweaty, and I was getting nervous. And I went up to Erica, knowing that that guy was getting ready to clear the roller skating rink for a couple skate. And I tapped her on the shoulder, and she turned around. And when she turned around, her, I was swimming in her beautiful blonde hair. It was like slow motion. It was absolutely extraordinary. And I said, Erica, would you slow skate with me? And she looked me in the eye. She said these words. She said, I thought that you would never ask. And all of a sudden, the announcer said, everyone, clear the roller skating rink. It is now time for a couple skate. And my hands were sweaty. People were clearing off the, the roller skating rink. You know, people were getting off. There's always one guy that takes forever to get off because he's kind of showing off, you know. He's got like the rainbow socks and everything, the hippie. And uh, he's trying to get off the roller skating. Finally, he's done. And all of a sudden, ladies and gentlemen, still to this day, I can remember from grade school in the 1980s, the song that was sung when I was clearing. Can I share with you the song that was played on that day as I grabbed Erica Nelson's hand and I took the skating rink? Uh, This was a song that was played. Go ahead. And I grabbed her hand. My hands were Unbelievable. Look at these phones. And I want you here with me. You might not know it, but you might do. Come on. From tonight until the end of time, you should know everywhere I go. Here we go. Always on 
was over, turned out, when, I, when the slow skate was over, I went to the very, very back. And I said, Erica, can I talk to you? And uh, we went to the snack bar and we shared nachos together. As we were sitting there sharing nachos, I looked her in the eye and I said, Erica, would you be my girlfriend? She said, yes, I will. And she was my girlfriend for two weeks. Oh, yeah. It was the greatest, really good two weeks. And, uh, and, and we went out for two weeks and it was awesome. But finally, one day at a youth group service, she came to the front, gave her just really passionately, was in prayer. And we were like just before grade school, like sixth grade or something like that. And she just said she, well, she wanted to seek after God. And after church, she came up to me. She said, I can't be your girlfriend anymore. I said, why? She said, because, she said what every Christian girl says in the youth group growing up, it's like ingrained in their mind from the day that they were born. I just can't be with you. Because I need to get closer to the Lord. Don't you wish they would just say to you, I don't like you? And get away. Anyways, uh, but, uh, and so Erica broke my heart, but I wasn't done. There was, a t- there was a radio show called Love Songs from the Coast. And every Friday night, you could call in and make love song dedications all over the country. You could. And so there's a Love Songs from the Coast with Delilah. And there was a lady, her name was Delilah, the DJ. And you could call in, write letters, and they would play your letter and then your song. So I wrote a letter to Erica. I said, Erica, the last two weeks have been the greatest two weeks of my life. And you being my girlfriend has changed my life. You have showed me every day what love is really all about. I messed up back then. What love is really all about. As I wrote that letter, I said, Erica, would you please come back? And, and she was reading this letter, Delilah, in her voice. And Matthew really does love you a lot. And he cares for you so much. And you have shown him what love is. Erica, this is actually the song, Erica, a long distance dedication from Matthew. This was a song that I dedicated. So I said, forget it. I'm done with girls. So I'm moving on to a new activity. And in the 1980s, I decided I was going to immerse myself into the life of breakdancing. So I went out. I bought myself a pair of parachute pants. I got myself a jukebox and meet a bunch of white guys in Phoenix, Arizona. Had our own little dance crew. We'd go to the malls and just start breakdancing everywhere. And man, we immersed ourselves into breakdancing. And one day, um, in one of our outreaches in Phoenix, we went to downtown South Phoenix. And we saw some guys breakdancing who started challenging us. And they beat us. And, uh, and, they, and they looked at us and said, you white guys can't breakdance. What are you even trying to do? White guys can't breakdance or rap. And these guys were dogging me. And they were a lot better than us. And I was so discouraged. I said, I'm ready to give up breakdancing because white man can't breakdance or rap until one day. I heard a song on the radio from a white rapper that inspired me to continue on. Trust me, there's a point to this sermon. Yo, VIP. I'm 36. I'll give it a try. Kick it. Ice, ice, baby. Ice, ice, baby. All right, stop. Collaborate and listen. I sit back with 
my brand new so whenever I hear this song grabs a hold of me tightly flow like a heart whenever I hear this song it reminds me of why I quit breakdancing and so at 20 years of age, I started pastoring a church and I took over the church. And at 20, I, I, I just said to myself, I'm going to give all I can to my church. And I started pastoring a church in the inner city of Los Angeles. And I told God, I'm not going to marry anybody for 10 years. I'm going to pastor the church. And one day a volunteer came onto the scene. And she started doing a ministry called the food truck. Where they would go out and give food away to people in the neighborhood. And I saw this and I was like, wow, you're awesome. And I started talking with her and she told me her dream and she was feeding people after school and elementary schools. This altitude is killing me. I don't know what, anyways, but uh, yeah, blame it on, blame it on the, al- the altitude. And, uh, and so, <laughs> and she came up, she came up to me after service and she said, I need to talk to you. I need to have a meeting with you. I said, okay, great. And then, and then as I was talking with her about the food truck, I was falling in love. And finally, I just started looking for any reason to have a meeting. I didn't need it. I mean, I'd be like, oh, those tires are, are uh, you know, kind of low. We need to talk about it. And she would sit in my office and talk about her dream. I could care less about her dream. I was falling in love. I was looking for any reason to have a meeting. That's called abuse of power. That's exactly what it's called, ladies and gentlemen. And I fell in love with that girl. We got married. And she's been uh, as a volunteer at the Dream Center one year. We're now married. And, and every, but, you know, it seems like every time I'm on the road, something big always happens at the worst time. Like my daughter takes her first step or my son loses a tooth or something takes place. I always feel bad. And I told my wife, I said, why is it every time I'm on the road, um, I seem to miss something every single time? And so one day we were driving down the road and we were talking about how I miss all these big experiences. And this song came on the radio and it reminded me that this last song came on the radio and reminded me. Of all the things that I miss. And when it came on, I said, that's exactly how I feel when I'm gone. I feel like I'm missing something, and I don't want to miss a thing. I could stay awake just to hear you breathe. What if I hear this song? I hope my, my daughter doesn't like invent something right now. Why are you out sleeping? Why are you far away? Every time I hear this song, it's always like an appointment for dancing over there. That's unbelievable. All right. Let's see this guy. Look at this guy. Ready? Are you ready to kick it up one more time? I could stay lost in this moment forever. Every moment spent with you is a moment I treasure. Even the video style. Don't wanna close my eyes. I don't wanna fall asleep cause I miss you, baby. And I don't I think about how bad the movie was. And that's what I think about. But ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something now. Setting the stage for this sermon, let me tell you. God, today, just like a theme has the impact of your life, God wants to give you a theme that will impact generations. Then when people see you, they will say, that's what the person is for. You know that the world knows everything that the, that the church is against? And I'm afraid sometimes we rally youth movements around protesting everything in the world that we are against. But more than what we are against, I believe that the world ought to know what the church is for. We are for helping prostitutes. We are for helping convicts. We are for helping people that aren't perfect. And ladies and gentlemen, here tonight, God is wanting to give us a great theme and a message for our life. 
When I was 16 years of age at a youth camp like this, I came down to the front and said, God, I surrender my life to preach the gospel. It was an unbelievable experience. At 16, I said, God, I commit my life to you. But the problem was I had a stuttering problem that was so bad, I couldn't even finish my sentences. That's how bad it was. And I stood up there in a youth camp and, and stuttered and said, I'm, I'm going to be a preacher. And all the kids kind of laughed and snickered a little bit at the thought of me doing it. I went back home and I, I, opened, up, I, ca- I opened up the phone book and I called every church in America from A to Z asking them if they would allow me to come and preach at their church. And I got three bookings in the entire, in the entire yellow pages of people that letting me come and preach at their church. I'll never forget my grandma in Kansas City. I called her. I said, you know, can you book some places for me to, oh, boy, I'm just, you're from everywhere. I called my, my grandma in Kansas City. I said, can you book me some places to preach? She said, sure I can, son. I said, how are you so sure you can book me every Sunday for the summer? She said, I counsel all the pastors in the city. I'm the number one counselor, and I know all their secrets. Every single one of you will have you to come and preach. And so under the anointing, I mean, the manipulation of my grandma, I went to preach. And I went that summer, and I preached. And man, I remember I went to one service one night. I had a 45-minute sermon plan. And I was so nervous, I preached my sermon in five minutes. I stuttered through the sermon, and people were laughing the whole time. I went down to the front row when I was done. An old deacon walked up to me, a sophisticated man. And he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Young man, I'm going to give you the best advice I could ever give a young man in the ministry. I said, What's that, sir? He said, Don't do it. Don't preach the gospel. Some people got it, and some people don't. But God's got another plan for your life. Just accept it and scrap this plan. And then I went to another church, and, and I went to go speak. And when I was done preaching um, the sermon, I failed again, and it was over. I went to the back room, and there were some pastors that were in, in the back, and they were talking about the service. I'll never forget what they said. They said it's sad to hear um, his grandfather was a great preacher. He was an awesome man of God. And his father pastors one of the great churches in America. And it's sad to hear a young boy uh, doing something he's not really called to do. And as a 16-year-old kid, I heard those words. And and in my heart, I knew that they were probably true what they were saying at that time. But I didn't want to embarrass the pastor. So I walked home about four miles to a little town called Tonganoxie, Kansas. And I was walking out to Tonganoxie and weeping all the way home to my grandma's house. I flapped on the bed. I said, Grandma, I'm the biggest failure in all the world. And my grandma looked at me and she said, what in the world are you talking about? She said, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard in my life. She said, you sounded like Billy Graham out there tonight. I said, really, Grandma? And my grandma was lying through her teeth. But thank God for lying grandmas all over America. Amen. When grandmas lie, it's not lying. It's just speaking faith as those things that they are, you know. And I got up the next morning. At 16 years of age with a stuttering problem, I went outside and there's a little old field out there in Tonganoxie. And I'd stand up there and I would preach to the trees every single day to learn how to preach. And I'd stand up there with my Bible and I'd put my Bible on a tree stump and I'd look at those trees and I'd say, every single one of you trees need to get born again. You need to come get your life right with God. You trees over there that are shaking your limbs, you're living together. You need to move in and get, and get married and do all this type of stuff. I mean, I preached to them. I preached about salvation to them. I, pre- I received offerings and they would shake their little acorns and money would come out. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I'm out there preaching the trees every single day. And God was healing me every single day. But I didn't realize that there's a little old church down the road, about a couple hundred yards away from the field. And when I was preaching out there every day, this man, the janitor, would walk out and hear me preach. He'd say, good job, son, and take it out, and I'd keep going. And one day I was out there preaching, and I've been preaching for several months, and not one person ever got saved. 
I mean, I mean, I even tried to say, how many of you love the Lord? Nobody would even raise their hand. I couldn't even trick them into getting saved. And that guy was walking out every single day. Good job, buddy. And one day I gave the invitation to my surprise as I was preaching in the trees. That man, the janitor, dropped down his bags and he went down to the front at that tree stump and he said, do you think the Lord will still forgive me? And on that day, that man was saved and he was born again and his life was transformed by the power of God. And let me tell you something. There has been a battle for the theme of my life. At 16 years of age, the enemy tried to use those words to stop me because he realized that years and years later, God would create a 24-hour hospital in the middle of the inner city of Los Angeles where people could come in all hours of the day, kicking off of drugs, 24 hours living in our building. Prostitutes, instead of going to jail, are going to the house of God where they're being ministered to. Girls that have been victims of human trafficking all hours of the day being brought to our building building by the police who when they're breaking up the brothels of the city all, every single day 30 40 women coming in being ministered to and God changing the battle was not to make me feel insecure the battle was for the theme song of my life and the message of my life oftentimes we preach to young people saying don't sin don't sin stay in that box maybe when you're 35 you could do something great um, it, it, as long as you're a virgin you can do great things for God and yes you can but there's more to life than putting young people in a box. If you, want to, if you want to see them live right, the Bible says that where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. Which means if a young person has no dream, they have no reason to stay within the bounds of what is right and what is wrong. We need a dream that is so big that we don't have time to think about being in the backseat of a car on a Friday night. Because we're on a mission that God has given us for something greater and a theme and a message of our life that will make a difference in this world. What is the theme of your life? What is that message? And God, the enemy was after that theme every single day. There is a battle that's going on tonight for the battle of the theme of your life. People that will tell you that you're born to lose. Maybe a father or mother that says you'll never amount to anything. Maybe a school system which is bent on four straight years of pounding people to the ground and telling them that they will never be something and ripping away layers of security. Let me tell you something. The only voice that matters, and I know this for a fact, the only voice that matters is the voice that you get from the fire of the throne of God at the altar. And when you take that back... And you get that identity and message from God. You will walk out of here with a great desperation of heart to change this world for the glory of God. The battle is not to make you a sinner. The battle is for your future. The worst thing about drugs is not somebody becoming a a junkie and doing the deed. The worst thing about drugs is it stops people from being what they could be. The worst thing about promiscuity is not the fact that that we're just promiscuous, but it stops us from doing the things that God has called us to do. But you know what the enemy will do? He will try to get you to remember every word, every negativity, everything that has been told to you from school, from, from growing up at home, from people, from an insecure world, trying to throw their insecurity on you, everything word that you use is a battle for the message and the identity of who you are as a person. Do you know why Jesus in the Bible changed people's names? Do you know why he said, Saul, you're not Saul anymore, you're Paul? Do you know why Jesus was walking around and changing names almost every single day, it seemed like, in the Bible? This is why he was doing it. Because he was trying to change people's belief about who they were and what they can do and what they can become. 
Jesus knew that their identity was, was, was shaped by certain experiences. And he said, I'm going to change the theme of your life. I'm going to call you Paul. I'm going to call you not Jacob. I'm going to call you Israel. I'm going to call you things. And that's what God did in the Bible. David, God called David a man after my own heart. Are you kidding me? This is the same guy that committed adultery and broke Ten Commandments with one act of disobedience. And yet, God looks at David and says, buddy, you are a man after my own heart. And gives him this unbelievable title he didn't even deserve. He looks at Moses, the same guy that got mad at his own congregation. Didn't even want to be around him anymore. And he got frustrated. And God looked at Moses and said, Moses, you, buddy, are my servant. He called Noah a preacher of righteousness. That's not a name that this guy deserves. But yet, God called him a preacher of righteousness. Even though he was caught in a drunken hangover after the ark, God still gave him a title he doesn't deserve. And I'm here tonight. I don't care what title is on you, what belief is on you, what you think about yourself. In one experience of desperation at the presence of God at this altar, God can transform your mind and thoughts, take stuttering people and give them a destiny and a dream. He can take insecure people and put a fire in their soul but on and on the enemy goes I call it posted note Christians living their life remembering everything well I I came to that church one day and and, and I I remember the pastor he used pop songs in a sermon I, I don't think I can ever get over that well, I came to church one day and, and I remember that little girl was at the altar was, was raising her hands and she had a baby two years out of wedlock and she's up there worshiping her hands acting like she's spiritual. I remember that. Oh, I went to that youth conference. That kid was praising the Lord but I saw him outside the mall one day smoking weed and smoking weed and the chronic and, and, uh, and, and I saw that kid the other day. He was doing that. And we spend our life. Oh, I can't be this or that because of what happened. And what happens is we spend our life remembering all the words, all the hurts, all the offenses of our life. I'm going to get a new one. All the offenses of our life. And we're walking around with a bunch of post-it notes of remembering everything in our life that's come against us that we have been through. And, and it destroys us. And the worst thing about the post-it note is this. And not that I look stupid and goofy right now, but the worst thing about it is I can't see where I'm going. The worst thing about a life of remembering words, remembering abuse, remembering heartache, is the fact that you can't see your future when you spend your life remembering everything about the past. And I'm here to tell you tonight, God wants to rip off the post-it notes and he wants to put a brand new passion in your heart and he wants you to remember one thing, a God that loves you, a Jesus that died on the cross, who's up in heaven calling for you. Post that on your forehead. Post, two years ago I had a baby out of wedlock, but you know what? God forgave me and loved me and he still got a plan for my life. Post the fact, I've made some mistakes. I'm not proud of, but God still uses you. The problem is we post the wrong things on the bulletin board of our mind and our spirit. And God is raising up a generation of young people full of love and forgiveness that don't walk around remembering everyone's offenses or remembering the things that put upon upon them. I'm like rapping, I'm like flowing right now. Remembering the right things. Ladies and gentlemen, here tonight, I'm telling you, God, there's a theme and a battle for your life. When I was 23 years of age, I was trying to pastor this church. It was rough. Everyone wanted to say the same. They wanted to do all the things, the traditional things in the inner city, and that my church was falling apart. People didn't want to come anymore. They said I was too young to pastor. It was just a, a royal mess. 
And one day I was invited to preach at Oral Roberts University Chapel. And so I was 23 years of age. I told God, I'm going to go to ORU. I'm going to retire. And now I'm done with the ministry. I'm going to be the youngest guy in the history of the ministry to retire at 23 years of age. And so I remember at 23, I went to ORU. In my mind, I was going to quit. It was over. And so I went there and, and I went to the Hilton Hotel across the street. And the kindest African-American gentleman met me at the front. How many of you know that whenever you want to retire, God usually sends the nicest person in your life, in your path, when you want to quit? And he met me at the front. And he said, what are you here for, sir? I said, um, I, I'm just here to uh, do some work here. I didn't want to tell him I was a preacher because my attitude was so bad. I said, I'm doing something at Oral Roberts University tomorrow. He said, I know who you are. He said, you are Matthew Barnett, aren't you? I said, whoa, how did you know that? He said, oh, your name's on the bulletin board across the street. I said, oh, okay. And uh, we got in the elevator. He's taking my bags up. And he said, he said, he goes, man of God. He goes, can I tell you my testimony? I said, sure, go ahead, because you can't say no. And so I was on there, and the elevator was going up. And all of a sudden, he pulled the emergency switch, and he stopped the elevator right there. He said, man of God, I want to do something for you. I said, what's that? He said, I want to tell you my testimony. And he started started crying, tears coming down his face. He said, I was homeless. I was living in the streets in Tulsa. And I had nowhere to go. I was dying. I had a needle in my arm. And one day a group of people came by from the Tulsa Dream Center to minister to me. He said, Reverend, have you ever heard of the Tulsa Dream Center? I didn't want to tell him that I was a pastor of the Dream Centers because I had such a bad attitude. I said, no, tell me more about those guys. I heard their pastor looks like Brad Pitt. Otherwise, I don't know much about him, you know. And... and, uh, and so the guy got, got together. He started telling me his testimony. And man, he pulled the emergency switch and finally we went, went up to our room. He took the bags to the room. He said, Reverend, do you mind if I do something before we leave? I said, sure, what? He said, do you mind if I pray for you, Reverend? I said, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead and pray for me. I didn't know what that meant. He said, sit down, Reverend, right there. I sat down and all of a sudden this guy pulled out from his pocket the biggest jar of anointing oil I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, how did this guy fit a bucket in his pocket? I'm still trying to figure out how the dude did it. Sit down, Reverend. I said, sure. And I sat down. And this former drug addict, dope fiend, just started circling me like this. He was fronting on me. Now, I wanted to tell him that there was no future in the front, but he just kept doing it, you know. And he just, he just kept doing it and just, and just walking around. And then he just swiped my forehead. You're a Holy Ghost man of God. You're a Holy Ghost man of God. Yeah, you are. You are. You don't know right now. You, you're a Holy Ghost man of God. And he swiped my forehead. And he just kept circling me and swiping me for 15 minutes. And each lap was getting faster. Then he, then he just started going, you're a Holy Ghost man of God. You're a Holy Ghost man of God. You're a Holy Ghost man of God. You're a Holy Ghost. And before long, he is doing like, I don't know what kind. Of, he's like crumping over me. Pray crumping. Just like, well, you're a Holy Ghost man of God. Yeah, he's like, y'all going to make me pray on you up in here. I mean, he's like just getting crazy over me. He was the weirdest, most awesome, Jay-Z, whatever. And he's praying for me. You're a Holy Ghost man of God. You're a Holy Ghost man of God. And he's praying for me. I started crying. I said, I am a Holy Ghost man of God. He said, Reverend, he goes, someone prayed this over me once. He said, do you want the double portion of the anointing? I said, yeah, I do. He said, okay. And he prayed for me. And then he said, Reverend, do you want the triple portion of the anointing? I said, I've never heard about it in the Bible, but it sounds good enough for me. And then he said, do you want the quadruple anointing? I said, it's got to be in there somewhere. I said, yes. I said, I want the whole thing, man. Pray for me. I want the whole thing. He said, you want the whole thing? I said, I want the whole thing. He said, all right then. And he took that jar of oil and he dumped it over my head from head to toe. (laughs) I didn't mean it literally, but... 
And I'm crying and weeping and crumping with a dude who's hip-hop praying over me with oil on my face. So we sat down and wrote some rap tunes together. And and then he walked out and he said, you remember, man of God. You are a Holy Ghost man of God. He walked out of the building. And I look at myself in the mirror. I say, I'm a Holy Ghost man of God. And I remember that day and I said, God, the enemy was trying to get me to quit. He was trying to get me to retire. He was fighting for the battle of my life. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the generations. He knew the 40,000 people a week that are being fed and the 700 people that are living. And the teenagers, instead of going to juvenile hall, the judges have licensed our church to take in minors. So now the judges are pounding the gavel and telling teenagers all over L.A. Juvenile Hall, you're not going to prison. You're going to the Dream Center. And we're raising up a generation of those kids and home families that have lost their homes that are showing up every single day and almost traffic jams of families that have nowhere to go and a 13% unemployment in Los Angeles, California, one of the highest in the country, coming all day long. God knew that, but the enemy knew that, and he was trying to kill the dream of my life. But I'm here to tell you that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And tonight, I'm telling you, God is going to give you a message, an identity, and something so amazing to give this world. But oftentimes, this is what we do. We have a tissue box. And we're addicted to the tissue box. The worst thing about the tissue box is not the tears that we cry, but the dreams that we throw down. With every time that we weep over something we can't do or can't be or something that we've experienced, we're throwing down a dream. I'd sure love to sing like that girl in youth group, but she's so pretty and she just sounds so good. I can never be her. I'd love to be a preacher, but man, I'm so insecure. I get up there and talk and everyone just laughs at me because I just can't. And, 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 oh, I just love to do this. But, and, and you know what I did when I pastored for the first two years of my life at 20? I was a tissue box pastor. I was walking around telling myself all the things like, I, I can't pastor a church. I'm the only white guy within 10 miles of any direction in my neighborhood. I can't pastor a church. There's a liquor store down the street. Nobody's going to come to church when they have to walk by a liquor store. I can't build a church because the demographics of church buildings say that if you have graffiti on your wall, it's an unpleasant environment for people to walk into the house of the Lord. I can't build a church because Fuller Theological Seminary did a spiritual mapping and shading, and they said that our region in L.A. was the hardest region in America to, they say we can't do it, then it can't be done. And on and on, throwing it down, throwing it down, throwing it down, throwing it down. Every tear, throwing down a dream, excuses. Oh God, if I could just have 50 people, I'd be happy. Throwing it down. And, and all of a sudden, one day, God just said, I want you never again to be a victim of anything in your life. I want you to, to succeed in whatever I've called you to do. And I got it from that day. And I started standing up to my church. I said, church, we got the greatest opportunity in the world. We are in the middle of inner city L.A. We got a liquor store across the street. If anybody ever gets thirsty, they could just go over there and get themselves a big gulp of 40, I mean Coke 40. 
We got the greatest church. We're in downtown. There's no competition. All the great churches are in Orange County. Nobody wants to build a church in the inner city of downtown LA. We, we're all alone down here. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you know what I started doing? I started picking up every single dream. People say, that's beautiful. That's horrible graffiti in your neighborhood. No, that's beautiful art. And I just turned it around. And I started picking up every single tear. As the Bible says, he will take away your tears of sorrow. And he will turn it into tears of joy. Pick up your insecurity. Pick up that person that you look in the mirror that you said is not good looking enough, smart enough, talented enough. Pick up the tears of sorrow and you put it back into God's desperation dream box here tonight. One moment. God can change everything about what you believe or think about yourself. Because all of a sudden you realize that the only voice in the world that matters So I just start walking through the streets of my city, picking up broken pieces and picking up all the dreams that I threw to the ground. I start picking up the dreams and telling gang members, you could be church leaders one day. Going through the street and finding little kids that nobody else wanted. And 80% of them are fatherless in in my community. And we started picking up dreams. I don't even feel like I'm the pastor of my city. I'm not even a pastor. You know I am? I'm a city janitor walking through the streets of kids and drug addicts and addicts and people that are involved in gangs and bondage. All I am. I'm just a guy that walks around and says, oh, come on, pick that back up again. Pick that back up again. You could be a police one. Oh, you, you could do it. My dad beat me every single day. I was forced into a game, gang as a child. Oh, you could do it. We have a girl that's in our building right now in our human trafficking floor at the Dream Center. Her dad sold her at five years of age to a satanic high priest. And he's been selling her since she was five to men as a gift to the satanic church. And they they brought this girl into our building. We're ministering to her. And all night long, she says she hears a devil singing to her outside her room every single day. As all she can think about was being a slave her entire life. Now you try rebuilding someone like that in the natural, but it can't, only by the supernatural. And, and we just walk by that girl, walk behind every single tear, said, you know what, there's still something left, and there's something big left. There's God. There's still a future. Come on now, just pick it back up again. Because God is in the business of picking up every broken dream and putting it back into his miracle hands, his dream box, and turning it into something extraordinary tonight. But your tears of sorrow... Cannot be turned into tears of joy unless you pick up every broken dream, every hurt, everything you've been told you can't do, and you put it back into the miracle hands of Almighty God. Every head bowed, every eye closed as the worship team comes to sing. I just love desperation. I love this place. I love it. I love it. I love it. I can feel it tonight. That out of this conference tonight, something revolutionary is going to happen. That will forever define this nation. I believe that with all of my heart. I don't say things like that. You can follow the track record when I speak. But that's a big declaration. But I just feel in my heart, there is something that is breaking through. That is so powerful here tonight. But we're going to do something different tonight. All over this room, I want in this building, we have napkins and pens by the thousands. And this is how we're going to end our service. As the worship team begins to sing in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to come down here today. And I want you to write down that theme of your life. 
that identity of your life, the who you are. And as they begin playing in the background, uh, God is getting ready to change you tonight. And this is what we're going to do. I want you to come down here, take one of these napkins and say, God, tonight the theme of my life is overcomer. Maybe you write your dream down. Maybe you write the thing that God has called you to do that you haven't believed. And you pick up that dream. Write your dream down. Write your identity down. Write your new theme down tonight. And we're going to put it in this dream box. We're going to pray over them in closing. And when you put it in that dream box here tonight, we're believing that by faith, we are sealing the finished work of God tonight. We're going to walk out of here and we're going to say, yeah, I can be a pastor. Throw it in the dream box. There's nothing magical about this place, but let me tell you what it is. What's, what's dynamic? It's the faith by which you execute this motion tonight. It's powerful. It's big. God's going to do something great. <laughs> We've already got people picking up one tonight. All over this building, there's people here. Number one, you're lost without God. You'll say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Savior. As every head bow, every eye closed, you'll say, tonight, I'm in this place. I need Jesus. I'm away from God. I'm not living for him. The first thing you need to do, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands in a second. And then I'm going to ask you to come down here and write, I am saved and born again. And put in that dream box and declare tonight is a brand new day. I'm coming back to God. Jesus is my Savior. But all over this room, I want everyone in this building to say, that's me tonight. I'm ready to go. I want God to change the theme of my life, change the identity of my life. I'm tired of living the same way. Nobody will see your hand but God and I. But if that's you, all over this room, I want you to raise your hands across this building. Lift them up all over this room right now. Come on, lift them up. Oh, my goodness, they're going up everywhere. Hands are going up everywhere. God is moving. We're dedicating our heart, soul to God. I'm going to be quiet now because the Spirit is moving so strong in this building. I want others of you as well who will say, not only do I want to be saved and declare by putting it down tonight, tonight I believe that God is raising me up. And tonight I want God to change the theme and identity of my life. I pick up what the devil has tried to steal. I pick up purity when the enemy took it away. All over this room, if that's you, I want you to come to the front right now. Come on, as the worship team begins to sing, just stay on up here after you're done. And, I, and I'm done speaking. I just want you to pray over. Put it in this box that, that I handle if you can because I want to pray for you personally all over this room here tonight oh hallelujah let's just worship god right now i'm done i'm done talking we're just gonna let god move right now in this building and over time this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom i'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart they've got passion for god they're leading intercession on their schools they're set apart consecrated under god and they've got a vision and a mission for their life 